Amen. I'm thankful we serve a sovereign God who rules over everything. And even though we know that and we believe that and we confess that, there are times in our lives that we kind of lose sight of that. Like Peter on the waves walking to Christ, we see the storm about us and we begin to look around and we begin to wonder, am I really going to be okay? And our feet start to sink in the water a little bit and then there our sovereign master reaches down his hand and pulls us up from the waves. There are many times in life that we face anxiety, we face fear, we face difficulty, and sometimes those times in life surround even the reality of being a Christian, believing the Word of God, being known by relatives, co-workers, other contacts, neighbors, that I believe the Bible. Even that can be a scary thing at times. Or maybe you've been in a scenario where it's time to begin to share your faith with someone and there's kind of that lump in your throat that keeps you from getting the words out and you're not sure what to say and it's a little bit scary and your palms begin to get a little sweaty. It's a fearful thing to share what we believe with others, to take a stand for what the Word of God says, to proclaim faith in the name of Jesus Christ. All sorts of opposition can come and get us. What will they think? Will they treat me poorly? We even live in an era where we wonder whether our society might begin to treat us differently for being a Christian, for believing God's Word. This is exactly what the believers in Acts chapter 4 faced in their own lives. Having stood, out, stood up for what they believe, having proclaimed the power of Jesus' name, they meet resistance, severe threats from the Sanhedrin, who were ready to even harm them, except that there were some people in the crowds that uh, were against that, and so they didn't want to you know, disturb public opinion. But they were ready to harm Peter and John for preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And so as we understand how they responded, how, how they come and gather with their fellow believers, and how they turn to the Lord in prayer, we gain insight into how you and I can respond when we face fear, scary times, to believe and to share God's Word. That's our theme for today as we work through this text together. When it's scary to share God's Word, turn to God in prayer. When there's fear of retaliation, threats of harm, or maybe just inwardly in your own heart, you're afraid to speak to someone about what you believe. How do we handle that? What do we do? There may even be a time in our nation where we end up suffering for the name of Christ. That's a possibility. How do we respond? What do we do? The believers here give us a great example. As soon as they're let go, as we see in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and being let go, the first thing that happens is they gather together and they turn to God 
in prayer. It says in verse 23 that they went to their own. And a lot of English translations supply a word there to help us understand. The New King James, it's they went to their own companions. That's actually not in the original. It's just that they went to their own. That's a phrase that was commonly used to refer to the people closest to you, often your family. And here it's their fellow believers. These were their people, so to speak. So when threatened by attack, they go to their church family, their fellow believers, and they share with them, as verse 23 says, all the threats that came against them. They said, if we speak any more in this name, they're going to do this. Now, we, we don't know for sure what kind of threats there were, but this is the same Sanhedrin that called for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So these are probably not light threats, you know few days in prison. We're not talking about that kind of thing here. Probably threats of death. And so they come back and they share the threats that have come upon them. And I love the response in verse 24. When they heard that, they raised their voice to God. They went to the Lord in prayer. They turned to Him first and foremost. When it's scary to share God's Word, when under threat of harm, turn to God in prayer. How do we pray in moments like that? What is it that we should ask the Lord for in times like that? Well, let's study this beautiful prayer together and learn how we can pray when it's scary to share God's Word. Number one today, we address God as sovereign ruler. We address Him as sovereign ruler. They've gathered with their companions, their family, as it were, and they get ready to pray. This is where they find unity around the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 24, we see exactly how they refer to God. And with one accord, they pray. Now, there's a couple interesting things here. It says that they raise their voice. You have a... uh, a distinction here. You've got a plural term, there, and a singular word, voice. So they together raised one voice, which is really interesting. Now, I don't think this means that they all like just sort of started praying in unison. I think, like we often pray today, one person was praying and everybody in the room was praying with them right? Engaged and listening and repeating the words in their own heads, praying along with the person who's praying out loud. And I think it's neat that we don't even know who it was who was speaking out loud because this is a group praying together with the voice of one person in one accord, talking to the Lord. This is their heart's desire. Maybe it was Peter, maybe it was John, we don't know. What's important is that the group prayed together. They turn to God in prayer, and with great unity, they address God as Lord. Now, there's a common word in the New Testament for Lord that's often used for the Lord Jesus. This is a different word, another common word for Lord, but used less often of God. And it means, uh, you know, you could translate it despot or master or ruler. It has to do with his sovereignty. The fact that God is master over everything. And so they begin their prayer by bowing before their ruler, the one with all authority. And they say, Lord, master, sovereign, you are God. 
Next, they turn to him as creator. You have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in. These are the three main realms of our existence, right? The heavens extending into the universe farther than we really ever will know they go. And then the earth where we live. And then the sea, another realm of exploration for us. And all three realms, God is creator. Not only did he create everything, but it, it concludes verse 24, and all that is in them. So as creator, he is indeed sovereign master and Lord over every one of his creatures. That includes me and you. We are his creatures. And it is right for us to bow before our creator as sovereign master and ruler. He is our Lord. And because he made us, he rules over us. We submit to him. We bow before him. We live as he wants us to live. This is his design of the universe. And don't be afraid of that. That's a really good thing because we know what our God is like. And he's good and he's kind and has created us for his good purposes. And so it's not a fearful thing to bow before him, but it is an important thing because he is our creator. And so they begin with this beautiful opening, Lord, Master, Ruler, we bow before you, Creator of the universe. In the midst of a time of fear, they turn to their sovereign ruler. It's tempting in Christianity to emphasize God's mercy and His love and His grace. And I I really don't think there's such a thing as overemphasizing those things. They, they can't be emphasized enough. However, one of the dangers is that we forget that He is also our sovereign ruler. He's Lord. He created us and He's master of our lives and He can do with any one of us as He pleases. And it's good and right that that is true. Now, Because He is merciful and gracious and loving, at the same time, we can be thankful and we can delight in that, but it's important to remember His authority in our lives. And what a way, in a time of fear, to turn to the Lord as sovereign ruler. Sometimes we forget. We don't recognize God's authority in our lives. We treat Him as more of a friend. And in Christ, yes, Scripture uses that terminology, but He's also our Master. A friend of mine was telling me a story recently of a a conference, a major conference they attended at at a large university. And there was a banquet at this conference, and so uh, my friend went to the banquet and gathered at the table uh, with, I think there was only one other person at the table that he knew and everyone else he was unfamiliar with. And as he was getting settled in his seat and the, the table array was all spread out, the glasses were already filled, you know, it was just a beautiful banquet. Uh, as he was getting situated in his seat, he accidentally hit his water glass and knocked it over and spilled water on the table and down onto his chair and onto the floor nearby. Ugh, right? So my friend feels awful about this and, and the mess that he made. Well, the servers at the banquet were right on it, and they, they brought napkins and towels and so forth and began cleaning up the mess. And, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. No problem. As my friend got ready to sit back down, he realized there was still an amount of water on his seat. And the servers had already left. They t- thought they'd taken care of the mess. And so 
couldn't really sit down in his you know, dressy bank, banquet outfits. And so the man next to him noticed the problem and said, oh, oh, let me help you out. And so he ran off and got some towels and uh, some other things to help clean up that mess and got back and bent down and began sopping up the, the water uh, on the seat and cleaning it up and serving my friends who had spilled the water in the first place. And so they sat down and, and went on with their meal and my friend was, was thankful and grateful. Thanks for helping me. Thanks for cleaning that up. You know, where, where are you from? What do you do? Was, oh, I'm, I'm from here. I, I, I work here at the, at the school. Oh, okay, cool. Well, thank you for helping me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, no problem. So the banquet goes on and it's time for the main speaker to step up to the platform and the man gets up from the table sitting next to my friend and walks to the front of the room and come to find out he's the senior vice president of the institution and the keynote speaker for the evening. And my friend, well, I had, I had no idea. Here I was letting him serve me and clean off my seats. And he's the, the main speaker for the event. If he had known that from the beginning, my friend might have handled the situation differently, right? No, 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 no. Let me get that, you know. What an evidence of service and sacrifice, and neat testimony of that. But sometimes we forget who our God is, and we're just kind of happy to have Him serve us with our prayer requests, right? Lord, do this for me, and do this for me, and do this for me. And our God is gracious to listen and to help. But at the same time, we must remember that He's our sovereign ruler, Yes, as our Creator, He loves us. I'm not trying to diminish that at all. But to remind us that at the same time, we bow our hearts before Him as the one who rules all things. And in our time of fear, what a privilege to come before the throne of the sovereign ruler of the universe by the power of Jesus' name. And as we're told in the New Testament, even to make bold requests of that sovereign ruler who reigns over all things as we both bow our wills before him and ask for his help in our time of need. What a wonderful God. So, He's our sovereign ruler, and as we face our challenges, as we face fear, it's important we turn to God as sovereign ruler. It's tempting to function as if God's not in control. We, we fear government laws or mandates that might oppose my beliefs or make me uncomfortable. We fear how our employer might treat us differently for being a Christian. We fear how people will treat us when they find out we follow Christ and His teachings. We fear what kind of world our children will have to grow up in. But all these fears have lost sight of the fact that God remains in control. He's our sovereign ruler. Other times we acknowledge His control, but it can be tempting to become discontent with what He has allowed. Maybe the thing that God has allowed makes me uncomfortable. Something I'd grown attached to is no longer present in my life anymore. Maybe the thing He has allowed may even involve suffering or persecution or threat of harm like our friends Peter and John. But remember, God remains in control. His plan is good and right, and no matter what we face, we bow before Him as sovereign ruler. We are His creatures. 
This is how they open the prayer there in verse 24. But they continue to profess the perfect plan of God in verses 25 and following. And what we're going to see here as we study their prayer to God is that it's right for us to profess that His Word and His will never fail. As we address Him as sovereign God, it's right for us to say, to confess, to agree that His will and His Word will never, ever fail. This is what these believers do as they continue their prayer. They actually quote Psalm 2 out loud, which I think is significant because God doesn't need to be reminded what Psalm 2 says, and yet it's a way of praising Him to actually say it, to say it out loud and to remind the Lord, yes, Father, Your sovereign rule, Your determined will, Your word will never fail. You have said, and so in verse 25, they introduce this quotation of Psalm 2. Now, some translations include a phrase that we don't see in the New King James, the phrase, by or through your spirits. This is in some manuscripts and not in others. I think it is probably original. Affirms that the Word of God was superintended, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so even as David wrote this prophecy down, it was God who was actually speaking. There's something significant there in verse 25. The the sentence reads like this, Who, by the mouth of your servant David, have said... So, if we were to take that little clause out, by the mouth of your servant David, the, the foundation of the sentence is, You have said. So, not only has this sovereign ruler created us, he's also spoken. And that's significant. He's our sovereign ruler, He's our creator, but He's also spoken. He has given us His Word, and His Word reveals to us His determined will. And so we have in Scripture the revealed will of God. We know what His plan is, or at least the amounts of His plan that He wants us to know. And so we can depend on what the Word says. His Word and His will never fail. The prayer quotes Psalm 2, like I mentioned, a psalm of David. It's a messianic psalm, widely recognized as a messianic psalm. And I think it actually looks forward to the time when the Messiah would be setting up his kingdom and tearing down the nations that oppose God. And so it opens with this question, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? It's like it's pointless for people to resist the rule of a sovereign God and the setting up of the kingdom of the Messiah. Verse 26, the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, speaking of God the Father, and against His Christ, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. So there's this prediction that there will be opposition. Not everyone will just fall in line and serve the sovereign God. God knew this would happen. That's what's being revealed here. They're they're acknowledging. They know. They understand. There's going to be resistance. God predicted this. We should not be surprised that some oppose what God is trying to do. Then in their prayer, in verse 27, they connect that list of resistance to what they saw in the opposition to Jesus Christ. 
And so they mention, truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, that word anointed is related to the Messiah, the chosen one, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, that means non-Jewish people, and the people of Israel. So a list of four terms. And it's interesting because this sort of correlates with Psalm 2. Notice we have the nations, which could be related to the Gentiles listed there in verse 27. We also have the people who plotted a vain things. That could relate to the people of Israel mentioned in verse 27. We also have Herod, who was a king. And kings, indeed, are mentioned in Psalm 2. And we have Pontius Pilate, a ruler, as is mentioned in Psalm 2. So whoever's praying here is making these cool connections between what was predicted in Psalm 2 and what they saw in Jesus' life, that indeed there will be those who resist the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is sovereign ruler, they recognize this resistance, but they make a conclusion in verse 28 that's especially significant. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. (laughs) So, while these kings and nations and peoples and rulers were resisting the Messiah, the actions that they were taking were actually accomplishing the determined will of God. That even in their rebellion, God's plan was unfolding exactly as God had determined would happen. This is an incredible statement of God's sovereign rule. Even the rebellious, evil actions of mankind do not fall outside of God's control. He still reigns over those things. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. And so God is this sovereign ruler beyond even our full comprehension. That even the resistance of the people of Israel and the Gentiles and Pontius Pilate as they crucified Jesus was providing the very salvation that God had sent Jesus to provide. You see, as we consider these verses and the way we pray before a sovereign God, it is right for us to profess, to say with our mouths out loud together before God that His Word and His will never fail. We believe that. We have it in our statement of faith, right? We we know that God is sovereign. We know it in our minds and we believe it in our hearts, but there's something about saying it, whether it's in song of worship to God or in prayer of praise to God, to profess with our mouths that God's will and God's word prevail. There's something about saying it. It's important to profess things to one another. If you stick around for the family service today, you'll get to watch Isaac do that very thing. Sorry to draw attention to you, Isaac. That's what baptism is, a chance for Isaac to profess before us his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we who also have trusted in Christ say, amen, right? Because we too have believed and are ready to say it, to profess that God's will and God's word never fail. We're living in a culture that more and more resists commitment. Have you noticed that? 
You may have even noticed it in your own life. We're hesitant to say to people, yes, I'll be there. Sign me up. I'm in. Right? We want to just kind of keep our options open. Well, maybe something better will come up, or maybe I won't be able to make it. Well, I'm not totally sure. We're hesitant to commit. This is such a prevalent thing in our society. There's actually a term for it now. Maybe you've heard for it. It's an acronym, FOMO, fear of missing out. You ever heard that phrase before? FOMO, fear of missing out. It's this anxiety over committing to something because I'm afraid that if I commit to this, I'll miss out on something different, something better. Now, it's an interesting read. They talk about how social media plays into that, and we're always looking at what other people are doing. And so we're constantly seeing what they're up to and thinking that I myself must be missing out, right? This has become such a common uh, term in our culture and such a prevalent thing. There are actually other acronyms that have developed. There's FOBO, fear of better options. There's ROMO, not Tony, but the reality of missing out. There's slow-mo, slow to miss out. There's Jomo, the joy of missing out. Some of you experience that one. But as our society grows in its non-committal nature, its fear of missing out kind of experience and a hesitancy to say, yes, I believe, I'm in, I commit. It's important that you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus, like these early believers, are ready to say out loud, I believe what this book says. I believe it's true. I believe that a sovereign God will unfold His plan exactly as He has determined and exactly as He has said and I trust Him. Do you believe? Are you ready to profess that God is in control and that His Word is true? These believers in their prayer look back to Jesus Christ, and that's a great place to look when we want to see the sovereign rule of God, because the gospel reminds us that evil cannot prevail over the love and the plan and the will of God. That even as Pilate and Herod and the Gentiles and even the Jews tried to thwart God's plan and put to death God's Messiah, God raised Jesus from the dead and proved that it it was going to be this Jesus who died and rose again who would be Savior according to God's plan. And so we read in passages like Romans 8 that if God was willing to give us His Son, How will He not with Him also freely give us all good things? That there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. If the crucifixion of God the Son, the Messiah Jesus, could not stop the love of God, then what can? Nothing. Right? So, as we consider the gospel, we remember that indeed there is a sovereign God that we can trust no matter what we face in this life. I wonder, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the sovereign plan of God to provide Jesus as your Savior, to have paid for your sins, to have conquered sin and death by rising from the grave, and that if you trust in Him as Savior, you can be forgiven of your sins, be right with God, and have everlasting life?
If you have trusted in Christ to save you, you know the truths of the gospel, then look back to the gospel and remember that indeed God's word and God's will never fail no matter how dark it seems to look around you. Even on the day the Son of God was dead, God was still in control. We can trust Him. As we continue in the text, we come to a turn in the prayer in verse 29. They then make a request of God. All of this so far has just been praise. (laughs) Just using the Scriptures to give praise to God that He's still in control and He's sovereign. But now in verses 29 through 31, they turn. Now, Lord, again, God as their sovereign ruler and master, look on their threats. So see what's going on. They they don't doubt that God already knows. They're just saying, well, in light of what's happening, here's our request. Grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They want to be able to speak the word with boldness. And so our final point today is this, request that He grant strength and boldness to speak His Word. How do we pray when times are scary, when we're afraid, and being a Christian or speaking the Word of God is fearful to us? We address our sovereign God. We profess again for our hearts and for His glory that His Word and His will never fail. And then we ask Him for help. Lord, give Boldness that I may keep speaking your word. Now, this is amazing to me that that's their request. Psalm 2 might have even encouraged them a little bit to, you know, pray for God's judgment, right? Psalm 2 is actually a psalm where right after the verses we read, it says, The Lord laughs from heaven. Pah, you try to oppose me. He holds the nations in derision, Psalm 2 says. And as it goes on, we read how the Messiah will crush all of his opponents. And so certainly these believers could have prayed that too. Lord, crush them. Tear them down from their rule. Uh, They could have prayed that. But what they really want is boldness to speak the word. They, they, they leave the sovereign ruling to God. That's His role. Lord, look on their threats. You, you see what's going on here. You, you do your plan as you want. We know our part is to speak the word. So help us to do our part. See, they understood the plan of God. God's plan was not that these believers, you know, bring up the rebellion and overthrow the rulers. No, God's plan for them was to witness to the name of Jesus Christ. They knew that. And so they leave it to God and they say, now please, Father, help us to do what we're responsible to do. To speak the word with boldness. They ask for God's strength in verse 30. And they ask God to stretch out His hand. And the word hand kind of goes back to verse 28, where we read that God's hand accomplishes His determined purpose. The hand refers to the power of God. And so they're asking for God's strength. They're asking for God's power to show itself strong in giving them boldness. They also ask in verse 30 for healings and signs and wonders to be done through the name of Jesus Christ. 
Now, this had to do with God's plan for this time. In fact, they had been told that as the early church was established after Christ departed, there will be a time of signs and wonders and miracles to affirm to the people that what the apostles were speaking was indeed the Word of God. So they're just asking God to do what God had said He would do, to follow through with power, with miracles, and with signs. They're praying God's will. And so as soon as they finish praying, they close their prayer in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, verse 31, the place where they assembled together was shaken. Now, we don't know exactly if this was like an earthquake that more of Jerusalem felt or if this is just something that happened in the room and they felt this shaking. But, boy, it's, it's the immediate answer to their prayer. There's the, the visible power of God, the felt power of God in the room shaking the place. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and already they are able then to speak with boldness. Their fear is calmed, and they have courage to begin speaking the word. God answers their prayer. Now, as we read about the filling of the Spirit here, it's good to remember this is different from what the Scriptures call the baptism of the Spirit. That happens when a person trusts in Christ. They're immersed in God's Spirit and added to the body of Christ. Filling of the Spirit is something that happens through the Christian life, that we're empowered by God to do what He's called us to do. Empowered for ministry. And it's really not something we feel. It's not even something we do. It's something we take by faith. That if God has called me to do something, His Spirit will empower me to do it which is a beautiful truth in the Christian life, that whatever God has asked of me, whatever command or instruction I come across in His Word that's for me, I know that God's Spirit will fill me, empower me to do it. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. Something we trust, it's something we believe. And we're told in Scripture at times to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way we sort of participate in that is... Kind of what exactly they're doing in this passage. Sovereign God, I submit to you. Help us to do your plan. We yield and we ask for his help. And then we know we have God's strength to do it. And that's exactly what happens here. As they pray the will of God, we know your will is to speak your word. So sovereign God, help us. We submit to you. And as they yield... The Spirit empowers them to do what God had called them to do. It's a beautiful picture of what happens in the Christian life as we seek to live for our God and to obey our God. John Piper popularized an acronym about uh, serving the Lord in God's strength. I came across it first in a preaching book that he wrote. I think he's used it a variety of places. It's a made-up word. It's an acronym, APTAT. A-P-T-A-T, aptat. It goes like this. First, you admit that you can do nothing without God, like John 15, 5. Without him, or without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Then we, P, pray for help. We ask God to give us the strength to do what we know he's called us to do. T, we trust a specific promise. What God's Word has said, I will believe. And so we grasp a promise of God in Scripture. Lord, I know this is what you've called me to do. 
that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so that promise or another one, we, we cling to and we say, I believe, I profess that his will and his word are true. I'm clinging to this promise. I trust you, Lord. A, we act. There's no special feeling that comes with all of this. We believe, and so we do. We do the thing He's called us to do. I have many times, sitting right there in the pew before I come up to preach, prayed these very things to the Father before I come up to preach. Father, I'm Yours. I can do nothing without You. Please give me strength to share Your Word. Work through it. I trust You. There's no cool feeling that happens. My pew's not shaken in that moment. Okay, all right, here we go. No, you just walk up onto the platform and begin talking and trust that God shows up to do His part because He always does. Finally, we thank God, the last T. We thank God for His provision and His goodness. We get done and we, in faith, say to the Father, thank you. (laughs) It happened. It went. I spoke. (laughs) So you must have helped me, Father. Thank you. Thank you for your help and provision. Keep using your word beyond what I can do. You see, this is how we pray to a sovereign God who's given us His Word, which never fails. We ask for His help to do what He's called us to do, and then we believe that His strength is sufficient and enough, and we obey by faith, and we thank Him when He's come to help us. So friends, I encourage you to ask for the Lord's help as you face opportunities to speak His Word. Now, of course, these principles apply to anything we might be afraid of, but in this passage, it's specifically about our task of speaking the gospel. And so ask for God's help. God's Spirit empowers us to do what God has called us to do, so trust Him. Look for those open doors, and when it comes time to be able to share your faith, Rely on God's promises. God wants us to ask, to actually pray. And I was convicted as I was studying this, this prayer for boldness to speak the word is not something I pray enough. Father, give me boldness. I pray for open doors and I pray for chances to share and I pray for specific people but that God would help me overcome the fear that I might still even be blind to in some ways, to be bold to speak His Word in the lives of others. Father, give us boldness. And so, as a church, we must pray. If we want to accomplish His will, if we want to rely on His strength to do what He's called us to do, then we must turn to God in prayer. Three closing encouragements for you as we think about that. Engage in prayer with your church. These are all things you can pray personally, and I encourage you to do that. But here in Acts 4, we have a gathering of believers. This is a little church gathering after the threats of the Jewish rulers. And they pray in one accord, probably not too different from what we do in our worship service each week, where one person prays and the congregation engages in prayer with that person. 
tracking along, maybe even verbally saying quietly to yourself the same things as the person praying so that in one accord we lift our prayer to God, engage in prayer during worship. Gather with God's people to pray. Maybe that's in your small group. Pray with one another and then take those requests. And of course, pray at home as well. But pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights as well, where not only we have Bible study together, but we spend time in prayer. How sweet to fellowship as we bow before our sovereign creator and ask for his help. Pray with your fellow believers and watch as God multiplies his church. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, we thank you for this text and its applicability in our own lives. We thank you that we do not live in a culture like the early church where we meet threat of death. We praise you that even in in, in a baptism later today, we can do so freely and without fear. And we rejoice in that. And we recognize that that's not even true today all over the world. There are places that face persecution and suffering for the name of Christ. And so we pray that you, Father, would give us boldness to declare your word, that you would settle our hearts and calm our fears, and that as we rely on your Spirit, we would be ready to speak about the power of the name of Jesus Christ to save, and be ready to share the truths of the gospel, and that with boldness, The lights of the glory of the gospel of Christ would shine from this place in Grimes and beyond. Help us, Father. We want to please you and we submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.